What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. We talk about the state of collegiate powerlifting with head coach and McHenry University's powerlifting team, Brad Beekle, and this episode was a blast to record. I've been looking forward to this for a really long time because both Steve and I are huge collegiate powerlifting fans. We think the potential for collegiate powerlifting is huge for the sport. Actually, it could be the biggest thing. Uh, surpassing the pro series, actually. Like, we do discuss the pro series, how it's important, and how you need to work on that first before collegiate powerlifting. But if collegiate powerlifting grows, the sport can grow with it, and it can grow exponentially. And that's what we talk about this episode. Ways to grow it, ideas, what individuals can do better, what universities can do better, what the uh, federations can do better. Also, what are some obstacles in the way and how to get around those obstacles? What's going on in McHenry and what is Brad is doing? He echoes a lot of these ideas. And also the growth that's been happening in collegiate powerlifting as well because we give our grades on the state of collegiate powerlifting at the end of the episode. It's doing well right now. We just want to see it grow more and we want to see it continuously uh, progress because it will be massive for the sport. Awesome episode. I love recording this one. Also, we will have a preview for collegiate nationals that is coming up. Next week, on Monday, we'll get the preview for all of it. Two White Lights will be there commentating. I'll be there for the entire teen and junior nationals experience. Steve will be joining me for junior nationals. It's going to be a great weekend, or a great week. It's a, it's, a whole, it's a whole week, and we have a preview show for it coming on Monday. Be sure to listen to this and that. But before we get into that, got to talk to you guys about Leffler Bros. Ladies and gentlemen, Leffler Bros is the best. They have the best merchandise. They look the best. They are consistently getting better in the content they are producing for this sport of powerlifting, and that's all they're doing. They're showing love for the sport of powerlifting and also making powerlifters look amazing. Head to toe, they're making you look beautiful. Hats, shirts, joggers, shorts, socks, all, all they got to do is release some shoes, but you know what? They don't even need to because everything they release is gold. Everything they've been releasing has been great. Be sure to follow them on Instagram as well and check out the content videos. Those were the best content videos I've seen apparel company have done in powerlifting. Hands down, they're killing it, and I'm a proud, proud to be a part of it as an athlete and as a podcast. Use promo code 2WL15 to get yourself some Leflar Bros merchandise. Make sure you are getting that gear that is making us look good on the platform, off the platform, in the gym, outside of the gym. They just make you look good. They make you look awesome. Use that promo code 2WL15 and save yourself some money. That is 2WL15. Also, make sure you're going to lift.net and get yourself some stoic gear. I wear stoic gear in the gym and on the platform because it is quality. It is the best powerlifting gear in the sport right now. And also, for you people, it is affordable. You are not paying for the brand. You are not paying for the logo. You're paying for quality. Use promo code ANGELO10 and you'll be saving yourself some more money on Stoic Gear. The new navy blues are beautiful looking. Also, a little birdie told me that potentially some other gear is going to come out soon. I'm very excited to see that. But the navy blues are looking great. The belt, the wrist wraps, the, the knee sleeves look amazing. And, of course, they feel great too because it's Stoic. Use promo code ANGELO10. Save yourself some money. Go to lift.net and get yourself some Stoic Gear. Also, make sure you're going on Freshly.com and eat healthier. Powerlifters, you don't eat healthy sometimes. It's just a fact. A lot of people are just having their pre-workout meals being gummy worms and a Monster Energy drink. Freshly can help you eat healthy, and also it can help your performance. Believe it or not, nutrition 
Good nutrition helps your performance. I found this out, and I was just eating a freshly bowl, and it felt great. I actually felt healthier after I ate it, and also it's got great macro-friendly meals that you guys can get. They ship nationwide as well. Use promo code AND, that's A-N-G-A-F-F, at discount to save yourself some money. You can save yourself a lot of money on that, and also you could be eating healthier with those macro-friendly meals. High in carbs, high in protein, something I need. You could also customize things. It's fantastic. Just we need to start eating healthier as powerlifters, and Freshly is going to help you do that. Also, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star rating. Leave a review as well. We actually talk about this to the Massonomics boys. If you guys leave a really funny rating, We'll read it on air as long as it's five stars. Uh, don't be like the one person who said the Heather Connor episode was amazing and then gave us one star. Like, I don't know what that means. Did you like the episode or not? Give a five-star rating, leave a review, make the review creative so we can actually read it on air. And also Spotify has five-star ratings as well. Make sure you're rating us five stars there as well, subscribing there too, follow, and also on twowhitelights.com. And without further ado, here is Two White Lights. Oh baby, I like it raw. Yeah, baby, I like it raw. Oh baby, I like it raw. Yeah, baby, I like it raw. Shimmy, shimmy, y'all, shimmy, yeah, shimmy, yeah. Give me the mic so I can take her away. Off on the natural charge, bone for yards. Yeah, from the home of the Dodger Brooklyn squad. And as promised, we got with us today Brad Beckel, head coach of McKenzie Powerlifting, and he's going to talk to me and Steve Denovi about collegiate powerlifting because collegiate nationals is rapidly approaching. How are you, Brad? Doing good. How are you, Axel? Thank you for having me. I'm doing pretty good. I'm actually really excited to have this episode because I remember Steve, it was actually right after Virginia Pro told me about this idea, and I just started getting excited because I love collegiate powerlifting. I love, like, what it can do for the sport, but I want to find ways to improve, and I think this episode is going to hopefully answer some of those uh, questions on how to improve the state of collegiate powerlifting. So, first off, i got to ask, like, what exactly um, are, you know, your your background in collegiate powerlifting? I mentioned earlier you're head coach of a country, but what is it that you do? Okay, um, so myself, I am the head coach of the McKendry team. Um, I've been the assistant coach there for the last three years. Um, I've coached privately since 2012, powerlifting specifically. Um, so what I've done over the last couple of years as the assistant is um, I've done programming for the kids, help any hands-on cues. Um, I still have not been employed through the college when the assistant uh, position. I was doing that as a volunteer basis and making time for them. Um, outside of that, what McKendry as a school offers, um, we're a fully funded program. Um, what that means for a lot of people who may not know is everything's essentially paid for from membership cards down to all equipment, uh, socks, deadlift, uh, 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 suits, bench equipment, anything we would need for potentially making an athlete compete and not have to pay out pocket. We provide all that stuff. Um, yeah, essentially us in a nutshell. And it's just like, cause there's club sports, but clubs based within colleges have two distinct things there's club sports in the sense of recreation which is that's not even a sport a a club could be poetry club 
there could be the powerlifting club. And then there's school-sponsored clubs, which means they're not like a D1 Division One football program. But, like, I know when I was at Purdue, baseball was a club sport. It was a school-sponsored club sport where it was funded by the school. It was recognized as one of the sports teams. They, they had a bit more privilege than if you're just a normal club. Is McKendry a, is a school-sponsored versus just a recreational club? Yeah, we are, we are school sponsors. So we do have funding and we do get uh, scholarships through the school. Um, so with that, with the money that comes in from the school, that's, um, so yeah, so the equipment of the school is, uh, they do provide, uh, funding for us. Um, it is, uh, considered a school club. So unlike where it would be, um, student led and stuff like that, we actually have funding for where it pays for the coaching budget and stuff like that. So then what made you want to get into the collegiate side of powerlifting, uh, and, and get involved? Um, I've known Steve for years, so I've done powerlifting coaching. It's just something that's been a part of my life. Um, I've competed since I was 14. Um, so the youth side of it is I've almost liked training youth. It's something I've talked to Steve about as well. It's they're highly adaptable and the mentality for youth is very, very different than what I've seen for my adult population. Uh, the drive and then that, that coach client relation or the coach athlete relation is so unique at that age time or that age frame is they're willing to bust their ass essentially to be the best and in their mindset. And, and this is what good coaches usually don't stop that mindset of letting them think they can be the best. And I think that's where a lot of these athletes have run into with a lot of these programs is they're limited on what they think their potential can be is the programs are not highlighting them. They're not putting them out there. They're not getting the proper exposure that these kids I, I think deserve. Yeah, I'd almost say, I mean, we, we've kind of semi-discussed that on Two White Lights before, but, like, it's almost blissful ignorance a lot of times what teen and juniors have is they're, they're delusional about uh, their ability, but in a good way. Like, a lot of times they don't see a cap. Like, they think within two years they're going to be challenging Russ for an open title. Um, and in a good way, that's a good delusion to have. Like, they, they don't see caps on it. So um, it, 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 might, it might lead to some excessive IG clout uh, grabbing, but there's some benefits to that. They're hungry, and that's really the best thing. Is like I think it's really, really cool. Like I said, the demographics they've trained are very different, but this age frame for me is just they're very passionate about it, and I ride that energy. It has just been very, very fun transitioning into this for myself where for a little bit I, I came out of coaching. Steve knows I came off social media for a little bit. I was just doing my private coaching. I, I'm very much an introvert, um, but once I started seeing these kids' energy and seeing how much they were investing into the sport, I mean, I, I couldn't help but feed off that and then since then I've been actually trying to put myself more in the role on the collegiate side like it's just it's renewed my fire in coaching how many lifters does McKendry have we have 18 we're okay. hoping next year with recruiting right now I wanting to get over 25 I actually thought you had more I mean that makes sense though in the sense of like you're actually a fully funded program so you can't have a hundred plus athletes on your team now, now is it allowed to have more athletes who are not funded by the program or you strictly only have it as athletes who are part of the program funded by it and, and so on and so forth. So this is where it gets funny. And this one, when I've talked to some of the other schools that kind of have the same structure where a lot of it is um, academic based scholarships. So anybody that will come in that has essentially a good GBA and could get enrolled in the school, they can have a position on the team and they can be um, on a walk-on status and still have the privileges of that fully funded program. Um, a lot of it comes down to coaching selection too. Like we only have so much budget for our scholarships. So when I'm looking at potentially getting kids as bad as it sounds like, 
I only have so much to play with to give certain kids. And ideally it's like, I want a larger team and it would be nice to be able to just have the walk on status come on. But when it comes with the funding, I can't give every kid a partial scholarship or funding for it. So we have kids that can potentially come on as walk-ons or come on as um, academic scholarships and just participate that way. Well, I'm going to say a benefit there because I do know of some other funded programs that do not have 18, but let's like quadruple that to like 100 plus, and then one coach is trying to program for all of those athletes. I got to assume it's, it's a little bit easier for you to actually manage and individualize and have personalized relationships then. I like it. It's a management setting. Yeah. Anybody that coaches or actually likes to coach, all my coaching is great, but what I truly enjoy is the one-on-one setting, being able to put hands on, manipulate motion, see program and progress. And you're a coach like that where you get so much video and you put so much feedback with it is you know how valuable that is for them. So I think having that smaller team definitely makes it um, a better learning structure for these kids. Yeah. One of the points I want to hit on earlier there was um, getting kids into these colleges and what we, we had an episode about that, about, you know, perhaps the um, over-enthusiasm or just the idea of them being, you know, better than they are at the sport. Well, that's, that. like you said, see, that's a good thing, and that's something that's coachable. And that's what, like, you want to actually harness that energy and to bring into something else. And that's why I have a real, like, passion for good powerlifting coaches in the collegiate side because they can take maybe an overconfident high school or a freshman in college and make them someone who could challenge Russ or Taylor Atwood in a few years' time. But you have to learn how to coach them. You have to learn how to do that. And I think what we're seeing uh, on occasion from collegiate powerlifting coaches is, you know, to kind of like putting a complete stop to that. Like, I think you have to use that uh, that energy and make it worthwhile. Um, I mean, because every coach deals with this on a Division One level, right? <laughs> you don't think Nick Saban gets this five-star recruit out of one of these states who thinks they're the hottest shit in the world – and he has to find ways to humble them, but still make them confident enough to win him a national championship. Of course he does. You have to coach these guys, and I, um, I think that's where like the the ground there for high school and collegiate powerlifting could be so strong. Yeah, and something too. Well, I'll ask you this question of kind of as you came into what you wanted to kind of change, what you saw was wrong, and what you wanted to do different. Because full disclosure, if those who didn't know, if you don't follow me on Instagram. Um, I'm actually working with McKendry. We have a little bit of a situation set up. We'll kind of describe that. And that's part of like what we wanted to do to kind of improve what we thought was wrong with collegiate powerlifting. But I'll start with Brad. Kind of, you got this role. You're finally the head coach. What did you see as kind of the, the big opportunities you had to kind of change the program and improve it? Um, athlete happiness. And I mean, and that's probably something when you have a question that a lot of people reached out, like maybe the program team is invested in the kids, but, um, the biggest thing was their morale. Like when I took over, it felt very much like we don't get the recognitions from others, like other sports do. We don't get seen like football, basketball, baseball. Um, like we've talked about a lot of programs um, are set up where it's their strength and conditioning staff or their strength and conditioning facility where they're just training out of it. So something that I've done since um, I've taken over as head coach is I networked with an outside facility uh, close to us where it actually feels like us. It's a nine for nine powerlifting in Lebanon. It's uh, close to McKendree university. Um, they have all the equipment we need. And instead of battling with the university for the kids to feel like an equal sport, um, I made it feel like they're home. So they go in there, they have their training times, their other teams they're battling with. Um, 
that's something where they actually feel like they have a, a, a place now. Um, outside of that, um, I don't know everything. As much as I like to think I'm a very, very good coach and very best in kids, I also know there's a thousand different ways to get somebody strong. And the relationships I built over the years with other coaches like yourself, um, I, I thought was a no-brainer to bring on staff. I don't have an assistant anymore. I had Haley Hill that was helping me, but she had a huge opportunity in Ohio that she took and went out there. Um, so when we look at programming and investments, um, we have great online coaches. We have great coaches that I network with. Uh, yourself and Jimmy Freeman's another one. It's like if I had to ask anybody to handle any kids or program for any kids, I would have a hundred percent confidence that you'd be able to help me get these kids these in goal. So at the end of the day, I'm trying to find coaches that are going to get these kids to their optimal potential and our budget pays for that. It's something that I have to work around and it's something I have to take responsibility for, but that's why they put you as a coach. Essentially as a coach on a collegiate level, you're not just a powerful coach. You're the team manager. You're, you're everything. You have to figure out budget for your crew. So with that, I've figured out budget where I can allow outside coaching and give my kids the best opportunity to be coached by some of the best coaches out there. So, and that says nothing about myself. I just want them to be in the position to be better. Well, I know you kind of mentioned this to an extent and something we talked about when we first discussed. There's probably nothing more uh, college kids wants than attention. 100%. If they're lifting X amount of weight, they want everyone to know. They want to get posted on King of the List. They want everyone to know. They want their buddies to see. They want their schoolmates to see. They want other powerlifters to see. And it's a really weird culture in collegiate powerlifting that you don't post your training. And I, in talking to a lot of people, I see one of two things is one, there are definitely some coaches who do not allow their lifters to post. And it's almost like a, 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 a athletics thing or a sports thing. Like, Oh, we don't want to tell the competition what we're lifting. Yes. I'm going to be honest. I'm a coach. Once you show up to the meet and I see your openers, I know what you're lifting. Yes. Like, Once it's I don't posted, think it's done. I don't think hiding your lifts in training does that much. Like, does it add a little mystique until meet day? Yeah. But it's not like football where like we don't see this, like, we see the score right when you start. Like once I see your openers, I have a range of what I know you're going to do. And then boom, I got in 10 seconds, I can plan what we're going to have to do to probably beat you. You don't need to hide your training. <laughs> yeah. It's stupid. And then the other thing is I've heard that even if a coach isn't telling lifters, I'm hearing a lot from around the nation that just culturally, that's just kind of what people have always done is you don't post your lifts in collegiate powerlifting. You don't tell people what you're doing. But I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to bet 99.9% of collegiate powerlifters would love to post their training and would love to get plenty of attention, would love to have 10,000 followers. They want to get posted on Kingle List, and why not let them? Because that's how they're going to get the recognition. That's how the sport's going to grow. That's how more kids are going to want to lift collegiately. That's how more lifters are going to know that McKendry offers scholarships to help out and you can be part of the team. It's funny that you say that, too, the social media aspect. Uh, Jake Combs is here in St. Louis, and he is a previous uh, collegiate powerlifter from Ohio State, and he is doing photos and videos, stuff like that, and his market he's aiming for, and he's done our videos, our last two from McKendry, kind of our high videos going into uh, collegiates, but his uh, his photography is amazing, and these kids, and we just talked about having exposure, seeing the excitement come from this video is more excitement than I've seen than anything we bought, anything we've done, or any announcement that we've done, just from them getting recognition from that. So, and that's like we talked. So I went down that avenue as well, kind of getting 
my budget paying for advertising, just letting the kids get exposure. And they, they love it. And it is something that has really changed morale. So I definitely, you're right. It's a hundred percent that clout is what they're chasing. Yeah. Well, I mean, in every age, I mean, every age range in powerlifting wants that exposure too. I like it's, it's worth We do pick on, you know, college lifters on, on occasion for that. And of course, when you're that age, you're going to want that a little bit more, but no, 27-year-olds even want this shit, man. Like, I see it all the time. Like, man, why did this guy get posted on King of Lifts and not my lift? And it's coming from, you know, a 28-year-old dude. Like, people like it. And also, we're in a sport where it needs to grow. We're not in a sport like football where football doesn't really need a great marketing campaign anymore. Football exists. They have the sponsors. They have exposure everywhere. It's part of, part of our, our culture Everyone knows about football. Powerlifting is not that. So we need to actually get on social media and market it. A way to market it is getting kids into powerlifting. Get high schoolers involved in powerlifting. Get college kids involved in powerlifting. The reason why I didn't start powerlifting when 2011, because I didn't know what it was. I would have known what it was if I saw more of it, and I didn't. It just wasn't there. It wasn't available to us. It it was foreign also. It was it was just a confusing thing. I didn't get in powerlifting until, guess when? 2016, when social media really started to heat up for powerlifting and a 23-year-old like myself wanted to get involved in it. Like, I it, the, the whole not letting your lifters post things reminds me of a NCAA rule. And we want to get away from those. Like, that's actually one of the benefits of not being part of the NCAAs. We don't have to abide by those really strange rules that like hurts all of the people who are actually in those athletics. Like, no, we like have your lifters post things if they if they want to post it, post it. It's great for your school too. Great for enrollment. Yes, it's free advertisement. Free advertisement. That's something that drives me insane. Is these kids are absolutely as mad as it sounds. Is they're a billboard for the school. And if your kid is lifting well and you post about it, that's how you get more recruits. So, and for these non-established schools, if you're looking at that, you have one or two kids or studs that really stand on the program. Obviously, you can't highlight them all the time, but but just let them be seen. Uh, take pictures of the program in, in general. And I don't see enough of that. It's like highlight your facilities, highlight what you're doing, or even coach talk or outletting with your local network of coaches in the community. I don't see and there are some schools that are doing it more where they're networking with the local USAPL community to get more networks or actually host schools but it just doesn't seem like a lot of that's really been done in the past mm. I mean could you imagine Penn State using Sean Mills at Wees as a person like if, if how how much kids love that guy you know and they see yes. him with a Penn State singlet and at the Penn State facilities or at the Penn State team People would want to go to Penn State, and, you know, I maybe, like, I, I don't know if Penn State really cares, like, as a whole, because they're going to do just fine, but maybe the powerlifting club would really care about that, and I think Midland yeah. actually did a good job with that, too, because with Perkins and people wearing a singlet, like, Midland was something that was known. It was in our heads. We knew about it. We saw the facilities. Mm-hmm. They did post about it, and, like, okay, like, I, I, people are going to want to go there because they see Perkins, they see Shane Nutt. They see all these lifters, and they want to just—they want to be a part of the team they were once part of. How many times do you think that people want to go to Ohio State University because Eddie George played for the Ohio State University? Like that's their, yeah. that's their favorite player growing up. I want—I want to play at Ohio mm-hmm. State. 
Yeah, and something, well, I'll cover a couple of things here. I, I'll try not to get too off topic, but one, I mean, we talked about when me and Brad first talked and he wanted to bring me on to coach, uh, one of the athletes, which I coach Izzy. She's competing next or a couple Sundays from now. Part of it was, I mean, obviously Brad thinks I'm a great coach, but I don't, I don't, I mean, I'll say for Brad, Brad doesn't need me to coach his athletes. He can coach them and they'll get very strong. What he was open that he in a sense could benefit from is like, I've got clout. I've got outreach like that other people can't get. If, if you are allowing people like myself or Joe Stanek or Sean Noriega or Stacey Burr or Joey Flex to coach some of your athletes and they're getting results and they're getting reposted on Joey's story or my story or Sean's story and, and they're getting more outreach and then they know, oh, if I go to this school, one or two incoming freshmen each year get paid by the program to get coached by one of these coaches, like how many athletes are going to want to soak that up? There, there's just so many opportunities to be able to, to let the kids benefit from great coaching, but also just get the outreach and exposure they need. So, um, and talking about social media, that's something we'll talk about a little bit. I mean, I, I talked to a lot of different students and a lot of different people who are running clubs because we're talking very specifically about Brad and he's the head coach employed to run McKendry. But the fact of the matter is, is the vast majority of powerlifting teams are just clubs. Um, the clubs that were doing really good understood how to run social media. And the other thing they understood is that a college kid uh, wants a social aspect. They can join a frat or they can join a powerlifting club. If the powerlifting club has those social aspect to it, I'm just going to go join the frat or the sorority. I, I want my friends. I want this community that I circle around. The, the schools I heard from that were doing a really good job in creating the social atmosphere were the ones being most successful. And I think, Brad, maybe that's a good way to put you saw morale was low. Um, was there not a good social aspect to the team that was allowing them to feel like they were part of this community? No, absolutely not. They felt withdrawn. They felt removed from it. And that's, too, is I, St. Louis has a very good strength community around here, and that's what they get to see. Um, so letting them see, like, these other kids or my lifters get exposure, and they're seeing, like, how excited or how happy people were for them. And it was, they felt very, very hidden. Yeah. And it's something for those, those programs that are clubs that are looking at, at growing is the, the social media aspect is, is huge and that's great networking, but these people that you have to get out there and create funding for your club. You have to get out there. You have to network. And something that we have done is networked with the local, um, um, federations to be spotters and loaders just to create some type of revenue for us. So every meet and spot and load, we get a certain donation from that federation towards our club. Um, but getting out there and finding ways to create budget for yourself and then showing the school that there is an interest for this program, like we're generating revenue on our own and it's too easy of a program to start up with minimal cost because almost all of your training equipment is already their purchase for strength conditioning. So it's, it's a lot of these little programs that are starting up is there's a lot of ways to truly get them going. But like you said, for, we had mentioned Cincinnati earlier, how they're truly invested in getting out there and doing it is you, you have to be present and you have to invest the time to be able to get that money back to your program. I think UTSA does a good job of that too. I, I think they're spotting and lo- I don't know exactly on the specifics of it, but they're, they have a spotting and loading team. They have that. I think that goes to the university and, I would say they're they're another university that's there as far as like they're doing something right at UTSA. They're creating a culture. Um, you go into TSS actually, you see the banners. It's cool as hell. You go into the, you see the banners. You see you know all the you know all the winners of like the the national champions. You know you see Ashton Ruska's name. 
like on there too. And, you know, that's something that's identifiable and it makes you feel like you're a part of a culture, a winning culture, a sport. And I think, um, that was getting lost. I know a, a, a lot of universities are doing a really good job of that. And I think on occasion, some universities are doing a poor job of that. Well, I think, I think one of the tough things we've already kind of alluded to this, but I, I found there's three, three structures. Brad, if you know of any other ones or Angela know of any ones, you can add it, add it in. There's basically the higher coach who's in charge of the, the school program, which is usually meaning that it's an actual school funded sport, usually offers scholarships, places like McKendry or Midland. Number two is a, a program that has an outside coach that helps to run the system. Um, Kyle Miller helps with Oklahoma. I believe John Downing at Ohio State. Um, I know some other things that have kind of happened. A lot of times, sometimes it's a little bit more official through the school. Sometimes it's a little bit less official through the students. Um, I've heard some horror stories there of students trying to hire some coaches to program and delivering money in a Chipotle bag. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm not going to call anyone out on that one, but I, I had a very interesting story on that one. Is this an episode of Ozark or we, Collegiate Powerlifting? It could be. Based on the, the story I heard, <laughs> it could what? be. But we we have those systems too, and I'll get and every single one of these has its pros and its cons. And the last one is just run by the students, which again, that is that's the that's the majority of them is it's just a an executive board, usually of the of seniority that's run it. And one issue there is it cycles out. You might have a couple really good uh, presidents and executive members that are running that running it, but once they graduate, you got to have someone fill the shoes. And I think probably the single biggest thing I because I, I heard a lot from uh, in particular. Just an example, larger schools, I'm talking like Big Ten, ACC, big schools where you got a lot of students that should seemingly have a lot of people that might want to power lift. I mean, there's obviously probably thousands of kids at their rec centers. Um, they were really hit or miss on how the program ran. And I'm just going to say it. The fact of the matter is that it comes down to the students and understanding that it takes some work. Like you got to be passionate. You got to have some business sense. You got to be hardworking. Um, Brad, you just mentioned it. I talked to uh, a guy from Cincinnati. Uh, I think they've, they've increased their in last year, something like from like 30 to 40 members up to like 90 to 100. And the things he was telling me, it, it was obvious. It's just that he's doing them. Um, like they, uh, they were able to, one big thing is they were able to get a local off campus powerlifting gym to want to support the team in the sense of offering a place to be able to lift that allowed enough equipment, unlike the, the rec center. Um, they were using funding to pay for day passes and Ubers to get come, kids to come try it out. How awesome is that? Like it was, it was a two mile drive out there. You had to pay $10 for a pass. They used their funding that they did through their fundraising and all the stuff they were doing to pay for kids to come try it out. Um, there, there's just so many simple things that can be done that can be huge to be able to kind of build this. And you just got to know that it's, it's not easy. It, it's going to take some work. Yeah. That sounds pretty big too. Is this the offsite, uh, training facility? Because I think. I, like, uh, training at your university might not be the best thing to do. You know, I, I mean, I think if you're trying to compete with football and track and field and all these other sports, like, I think, of course, the university are, is going to say, say if you're at, you know, Clemson or Ohio State, you're going to be like, yeah, we're going to let our football team train here. They bring billions of dollars to this sport or to this university. Like, powerlifting isn't quite there. And also just the specific equipment that's needed for powerlifting. Like, I remember us having, a, like, I went to Benedictine University. We had a good weight room, but once I started deadlifting 500 pounds, I, I couldn't train there anymore. Just, I didn't have enough room on the bar to do anything. Like, it, I, like, I think 
and that's much easier said than done, finding an off-site facility that will help you train in powerlifting. You just have to hope that a really good powerlifting gym's close to you. And then size accommodates you. Like I said, with that team, that team size, it's like you're essentially going to have kids in there all day. It's not like you can have a practice time with that size of kids for two to four hours. So what they're doing is you have to, the coaching structure has to be available. So if they have this off-site facility and if it's student-ran, it's like, are the coaches going to be available all the time or is it they have such a good relationship with the gym? It seems like that is just a really, really smart thing they're doing to really get people in there, though. That's awesome. Yeah, and that was just one of many things, but I mean, it just took some work. I mean, it, it, it wasn't easy to do. Uh, if I'm just kind of right, I had some, I'll just kind of, I, when I had people reach out, I asked if I wanted to use their names or not. I'm not, I, honestly, there were so many people that reached out. I'm not even talking about many specific examples, but I, I was able to kind of list a lot of the things that I felt just were wrong that were coming up over and over. Um, if we're looking more at kind of like the hired head coach who's in charge of the program, the, the biggest issues I saw there was seemingly a lot of them are old school coaches um, who probably have little to no connection with modern, let's call USAPL lifting. Um, they're a bit disconnected. They're using more old school approaches, which if you're, if you're going to walk into a gym or you're going to walk into your college and you're a collegiate student um, and you see all of your friends who were coached by Joey Flex, you see them coached by Sean Noria, you see them doing fairly similar programming, RPE based. They're, you're seeing all the same things. And then you walk in and you've got your 50 year old coach who immediately puts bands and chains on your bar, on your camera bar and says, we're doing conjugate. It's not going to be super appealing to those students, nor is it going to be very marketable because it, what, even if it works, even if, even if that works, kids are seeing all the people that they look up to and idolize training completely different. And they're not going to want to chain train like uh, some 50 year old equip lifters. They're going to want to train like Weez's training. Like Sean is training, like Alex Sidor is training. Um, and so it, it, honestly, I think some of it, it's kind of the same thing we said USAPL in general needs. It's just more young blood. Um, we, we, it definitely, we should learn from people who have, uh, uh, been from the past and, and been doing this for a long time. Me and Angela actually had a call with Matt Gary the other day and that dude is just full of information because he's been around from the get go and it's just a phenomenal representation for USAPL. But I think when we talked to him, he'd even say the opposite. Like he could see that our new ideas from a new approach was he, he was hundred percent on board with a lot of the stuff we were saying because he saw that like, it's not the same as it was 20 years ago. Yeah. It, it's a different, if it's a different sport, we're in a different time. Yeah. And also evolving with the sport too. Like, I think evolving with it, I mean, it's something they can do. It just it just hasn't really happened. And also, I want to mention something that Steve – I want to uh, mention something that Steve said is, you know, watching your friends train. But also, those lifters are having success. That's another thing. It's like they're not having bands and chains and all this stuff, and they're having success. Like, the guys you mentioned are good. You know, Weez is great. Lucky's great. All these lifters are fantastic team lifters, and they're not doing conjugate. So when they see the success, they want to also get involved in that coaching as well because, like, all right, if it's an easier way to get to that path, let's take it. And that will drive people away from a coaching or a team is if they're not on board with it. And it should be obvious, but to some it's not. That that means your coach has to be highly adaptable to you. If you're trying to recruit that age frame and you know – 
that that's stylistically the coaching that they're aiming for. And I've had kids who come in, they're like, I want to train this way. I'm center trainers or my coach train this way. And some of them, and mind you, it's almost like the security blanket, but you just have to be adaptable and you can coach and a, a good coach can be adaptable to any of it and, and kind of get that way or get the end result with that, that philosophy ideology. So coming in and just switching from that old school approach to where bands and change and going more RP or percentage based. That's, that's an easy transition. That's more of just an ego based thing that you don't transition with it. Cause especially if you're looking at changing with the sport, you have to go with what the athletes want as well, not just setting your ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And also I think occasionally what happens at these universities is they kind of ride the success of a few great lifters and these great lifters would be successful under pretty much every program. You know, like that's something that I've seen in the past where there's one or two like freaks that come out of it. It's like, yeah, cause they're freaks. You know, I don't, I don't want to mm-hmm. like toot my own horn here, but like I was running an online program that many people tried and didn't do well on for four years of powerlifting. I got success off it though. Like it helped my total a ton. It helped me, you know, get a 700 pound deadlift. Would I recommend that? Potentially another 82 and a half kilo lifter would do the same program. No, I wouldn't recommend that. But I also wouldn't recommend a 52 kilo woman doing it either. I wouldn't recommend that for sure. Like some lifters are going to be successful because they're gifted. You can put up any program in front of them and they'll do great. But let's hear about like maybe the, the, the mid tier lifters or the lifters whose uh, progress might be stagnant for a while. Like that's that's who if I'm judging university, that's who I want to look at. It's not the top, it's the middle. Yeah. And I'm not gonna say a college name. Some people might be able to guess it, but um I had multiple people from a certain place reach out saying that like this fifty two kilo women were running the same exact program that hundred and twenty five kilo men were, and if you didn't respond to it, they start pulling names out of the hat of who did respond to it, and if they respond to it, you basically should too. Um that's the incorrect answer. Yeah. Yeah, it's bog- like that's that's just a, that's bad coaching too. If I went to Joe Stanek uh, as my coach currently, and then I was like, "Hey, man, you know, like I kind of respond well to this," and he's like, "Well, Perk responded well to this. Why aren't you?" I'm like, "Well, Perk's better than me." So let's <laughs> so let's let's just. I'm not saying Joe does this. Joe's a great coach who doesn't do this stuff. He does, you know, he responds well to my needs. I'll be like, Perk's amazing. He's a fantastic lifter. I'm not going to respond well to this because I'm not as gifted or whatever he's doing is fantastic. I, I can't do that. And, like, that would that would make me want to leave my coach immediately. If if that started to happen to me, I would be like, nope, done here. Don't tell me what another lifter is doing is having success to you because you're implying that I'm not working hard. And that's bullshit. Don't tell someone they're not yes. working hard when they're working really hard. Yes. But yeah, just kind of, I'll just run down a couple more, maybe it was person conversation. I, we, some of we already talked about, um, issues I kept hearing, not allowing kids to post on social media, like telling them they, they can't do it. Um, not allowing to have outside coaches, which could be a couple things. Be, I mean, some people come in and they've had a coach for however many years and it's a really hard breakup that they have to then ditch their coach for someone that maybe they don't click with and gel with. And like they had someone that was getting great success or they see the opportunity to work with someone that could elevate them. Um, and I, I think there's a fine line there. I can understand to an extent, like if you're in charge of a collegiate lifting power lifting program, you don't want 50 kids all coached by 50 different people. That would be, I'm sure that would be a nightmare. 
Um, there need to be some kind of vetting process. Like Brad, I, um, you, you specifically ch- chose some coaches that you had good connections with um, and good communication and good networking and trusted them to oversee a couple of your athletes, not every single athlete and not 18 different coaches to coach all 18. So it, it's a tough little thing, but I think there's ways you can kind of work that in. Um, some other things I saw, uh, one big issue I saw with club programs, and I've heard this from some other people, is that it's just kind of, it's, it's, it's dependent on who's in charge. I've, I've heard a lot of issues of like seniors being in charge who like just kind of dictate everything and they've got this stud freshman coming in and they're almost kind of jealous. So they just kind of like suppress them and try and make sure that they, they aren't stealing the thunder, which is stupid. They should be using that person to get all of the recognition and, and ride that wave completely. Um, I know a big issue, especially with these larger schools, is just lack of support. Like you go, uh, I mean, I had multiple like big, big schools of people like going to their school. And the school doesn't care. Like, yeah, you can start a club, but we don't care. We, we, we're not going to give you time to be able to like rent out the co-rec. We're not going to give you any funding. Like that's on you. Like we're, we have, we have our division one football teams to be worrying about. Um, we don't care about our powerlifting club. So that was a constant issue, which goes back to it's a hundred percent on the students to grow the program at a lot of this, like it's on them. So it's, if, if, if they aren't able to be able to kind of create a good system, which um, I've got some ideas I'm going to post at the end. Cause a lot of this spurs some ideas of what the USAPL and just the powerlifting community in general could do. And, and one of it is how to help out these students of knowing how to grow a program. And the last one, we've talked about multiple times, lack of appropriate gym access. I honestly think probably a lot of the situations I heard of at these more club-based schools could be fixed by having a powerlifting gym they could go to, and that powerlifting gym being very supportive of the club, Um, whether it be discounted memberships, special times that they can do, whatever it may be. Um, I, I see. I see no reason why that just doesn't benefit the gyms. I, I can't see any powerlifting gym wanting to turn that opportunity down because there's just more members and more opportunities for them. Um, but that's huge. I, I, I mean, depends on the school. I came from Purdue. When I was at Purdue, we had two squat racks and zero deadlift platforms. If I wanted to powerlift when I was there, it was not happening because I didn't. Uh, at that point, I was half squatting in a Smith machine. But we're not going to talk about that. Um, but yeah, you got to have appropriate gym access. Yeah. That seems to be the big thing, and I also, I mean, I, I'm actually curious to hear about these ideas that could happen because it's such a, at college campuses would be an excellent way to go to sport. That's, I mean, just going away from powerlifting, people want to get jacked on college campuses, like just straight. They want to, like that's a big thing with them, and people could fall into other fitness categories if they want to do that or again to but a lot of them will fall into powerlifting as well and that's just more more people getting funneled into the sport of powerlifting is going to be better for the entire sport you know like may, then maybe as the sport grows you will get funding from colleges if you have more of it if it gets on ESPN or something or if you're getting consistent million viewers on live streams Maybe then the university starts coughing up some money, and that would be great to the sport too. So, well, I'll just kind of hop in my two ideas. Then, I mean, they're simple, but the first and foremost is what I heard from a lot of these larger schools run by students is just the fact of the matter is I, I would not expect every student to understand business savvy and be an entrepreneur and understand how to grow a powerlifting program. They're power lifters who have interest to have a powerlifting program, but not everyone's going to know how to be able to kind of excel at that. I think it'd be great if we got uh, kind of a, a roundtable and like a committee of head coaches, of student executive members, and anyone within like higher, uh, very successful club and school sponsored powerlifting programs 
to get together and create some type of course or handbook of how to start a powerlifting club, um, the general structure of how to do it, um, what you need to be looking for, like being able to network with outside gyms, how to do fundraisers, how to hold meetings. I, I mean, literally, I'm talking about writing the whole handbook guide. And that can go from just like a PDF that if you want to start a powerlifting club, contact USAPL and we give you the PDF, or it could be a general course. Like it, it, it's a pretty obvious time frame when powerlifting clubs are going to start. It's in the fall, most likely, right. when school's mm-hmm. starting. Have some type of course that's completely free to be able to allow prospective club members and prospective clubs wanting to form to come in. And there is a course that's put together by this committee to be able to teach students of what they need to do and give a general framework of how they go about it. Because I think most people are just lost in that um, and, and not understand. Because it's honestly not hard. I, I, again, I talked to the guys from Cincinnati. Um, what they did wasn't groundbreaking. It's just that they had a plan. Um, I talked about it in my YouTube video about powerlifting coaching business. Have a plan. Like you don't start the powerlifting club and then figure it out as you go along. The best way to do it is to have a plan of how you're going to grow up from the get go um, to be able to create kind of the community and the culture and the system and the network and whatnot. Because um, and this kind of ties into the next one is the other big issue is like a lot of these schools that they could get some people to kind of join, but then they kind of teeter off because one of possibly the social aspect, but two, they're like, okay, I joined. Like what now? Like there's no competitions near me. If I do compete, it's just me. Like this isn't the team competing and I can't afford $2,000 to go to collegiate nationals and pay for a hotel and a plane ticket. Um, I think it could easily be implemented if USAPL brings regionals back to have a regional collegiate side competition. Um, I had a lot of students saying that like if they could have some type of year long collegiate ranking system and point system, that could be able to allow these teams to compete cross country without having to all travel to collegiate nationals, that they would have much easier time getting kids to buy in that this is a team-based sport, not just, Oh, you're going to compete and that's it. Like, yeah, you're going to wear the shirt for our school, but like yeah. there's no team aspect to it. It's just yeah. a, lo- it's just a local meet that everyone's competing at, whether they're part of the college or not. If they could create some type of collegiate structure to where maybe state championship regional and the collegiate nationals all has points and ranking systems, um, based on whatever it may be, uh, and creating like team-based competitions at all of those, um, I think that could be huge. Yeah. Um, we have the tier system for the local lifters. You do state, hopefully you do regionals, and then you do nationals, and then you do the pro series. We have the tiered system. For collegiates, we have no tiered system. It's just you go to collegiate nationals, and if you can't get there, you can't get there. And, I mean, most of these teams are not going to make it there in their, their full roster um, because they're just not going to have the funding to do so. Well, a lot of them don't have a full roster either. And that's when you look at your collegiate rankings. If you go through and look at all the teams that are actually registered this year, how many of them actually have a full team to be able to put in to against other schools? Because they're so limited in funding, they don't have the full roster. So I really, I love that idea of getting the handbook out so the actual students have a way to keep the program running each year and not have a fall off from senior to senior. And it's just a set course. Hey, this is how we run it. This is how it goes. Uh, yeah, that's, it's, that's, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that. And also making the team aspect more important. I know, I mean, two white lights, just as the content creators, two white lights, we would love that. Something to actually tier them and rank them and, you know, put our, put out our AP top 25 polls of, you know, top 25, uh, collegiate powerlifting teams or top 10 collegiate powerlifting teams. I wanted to do that for such a long time, but it's like, it's, you can't do it right now. It's just such a mess with all the teams and how it works. And like you said, they don't have full rosters. Um, and there's no real way to, and there's no real way to even judge it. Like we're just doing, we're going based off collegiate nationals. So 
there's nothing to lead up to collegiate nationals. Like, there's no regional. There's no, like, meet that we can get get based on uh, or get information based on. It might be, like, their own meets, which, you know, it's can be an issue, too, ranking lifters based on the meets that they did at their own universities. You know, it's um, it's something that I, and I think would really help the sport, too. Like, making collegiate more, uh, collegiate policy more of a team-based thing. Because I think, I think team sports motivates a lot of people to try harder within that sport. You know, powerlifting is an individualized sport, but once you're, you know, you're, you're representing a team or representing other people, I think it could, it could add a different sense of motivation or a different sense of what it means to be a part of a culture. And that'll add, I think, more lifters going from high school to college being like, you know what? Wasn't uh, that gifted to play football? Wasn't that gifted to play baseball? But I was always a good weightlifter. Let's go into this team and, you know, see what we can do. Maybe we can be a national champion. Maybe we can be competitive with other schools. That will be a really great thing. And that, that goes back to we already discussed. Like, college kids are usually leaving home. They're leaving the comfort of their high school and their friends group, and they're going to now be a loner and starting over. They want to immediately grasp onto a community. Mm-hmm. And if you can – the more it's team-based, the better. I mean, going back to Cincinnati – he told me at their their meetings they have, they have 25 to 40 people show up. And I was like, how in the world are you getting 25 to 40 college That's students to voluntarily show up to a meeting? Yes. No one ever in the history of mankind has done that. That's, That's incredible. That's, ridiculous. That's the single yeah. biggest accomplishment I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. age um, you to commit that. Yeah, exactly. Time, so and on a college Appar- campus. Apparently. On a, a professor's yeah, apparent, like, how the hell did you get them to show up to class? <laughs> and apparently, I mean, within their meetings, they have the, the general things where they talk about like upcoming things, meets, team plans. Then they usually have some type of like programming or technique or informative thing. Um, then they play games. They go bowling. They, they play board. I forget all the things he said, but they watch a movie together. Like it was, that's- I mean, like again, it's one of those things that's so obvious that they did that worked, but that's it. Like, Kids, if a kid's a good join a powerlifting team, they're sacrificing their time doing their powerlifting club versus doing their fraternity. Yeah. It's hard to do both. You don't have time for both. So if you're going to join the powerlifting club, it needs to act like a fraternity or sorority for them so that they can be a part of that community. And then allowing the team competition at multiple avenues, not just if you can make it to collegiate nationals, is fantastic because a state meet or a regional meet, much more likely that you're going to be able to get a group, get big group of people to travel because it's going to be more than driving distance and, and, and more feasible for a lot of people to go. So I, I think there's a huge opportunity there to be able to create a tiered system for collegiate powerlifting because just straight up, collegiate. I mean, one of the reasons when me and Angela talked about doing this episode a while back, the reason I wanted to do it is um, I think Two White Lights was uh, had a, had a good hand in helping to kind of create some framework for a professional series this year. Um, that's great. That helps out the elite lifters um, helping out. The majority of lifters, though, honestly, I think one of the, if not the single biggest way we can grow the sport is increasing uh, collegiate powerlifting participation and enjoyment with it so that they want to continue after. Best way, I, we talked about it the other time, too, about how, what's the best way to get those lifters? Have open lifters age into it. What's the best way to get equipped lifters? Have more people in powerlifting that maybe eventually want to switch over. What's the best way to get more open lifters? Have more collegiate lifters that then age into open. It, it's just all a constant thing. And if we can create a more of a, a, a better collegiate system that's more organized, um, that, cause it's already great. I mean, it's growing. We're having 900 plus people do it. Um, honestly, I was, I was talking to some people that we, we, we might need some higher qualifying total sleep for collegiate nationals coming soon because it's, it's getting really big. They had to put a cap on it. Digress though. Collegiate powerlifting 
could arguably be the most single important way to grow the sport as a whole. Yeah. Um, because the more people we get involved with that, the more people that possibly are going to be long-term power lifters. Mm-hmm. Pro series makes collegiates more lucrative too for a lot of these kids. Well, the pro series cards, which I mean, we'll eventually talk about, but seeing that where the pro series is going and long-term making it a professional sport, a lot of these kids are like, can I, some of the question is, can I be a professional power lifter someday? And like right now we don't have that structure, but we have this collegiate sport, just like any other sport that can turn into a professional career. So it's, I'm hoping with the pro series and stuff like that, and these kids getting their pro cards at the juniors and then collegiates this year, it'll open up a lot more kids wanting to follow the avenue of collegiate lifting or powerlifting since that avenue of potential future incomes there. I think that's a good point because I've had some people reach out recently saying, oh, the USAPL is just caring about the pro series and these elite lifters. Have that first. And then everything can come under that. You don't, you don't start with peewee football and then introduce the NFL. You got to have the NFL so that the peewee football players are interested because they see this gateway to professionalism. Um, pro series was first. That was strategic on why that needed to happen. Once that's in place, set in stone, it's solid. Then you start working your way down and that creates an entire system that just breeds progression and expansion. Yeah, also, I mean, the, the example you brought with Pee Wee football in the NFL is like, there's a reason why Pop Warner teams all wear NFL jerseys. They, they get assigned to a different NFL team because then the kids are like, oh, I'm on the Bears. I play for the Bears or something. It's So you're saying that McKendry should have some people that have to wear, uh, the Angelo Fortino fit <laughs> to their next meet. Oh, I get, I get to be Angelo or, at my meet. I get, or, I get the black track suit. Or, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> or I, I want that so bad. Please, dear God, Brad, have one of your lifters be the Angelo Fortino fit. Have one be the Sean Mills fit with the snake little thing and put a chain yeah. in their mouth and then wear young LA. Uh, uh, you'd be surprised. Let's have the fit for each person. Yeah, you'd be surprised. Everyone is telling me, well, I have, you know, college kids DMs. Like, it, would it be weird if I wore, like, some outfit to my weigh-ins? I'm like, no, do it. Fucking do like, yeah, like keep doing like keep pushing that or like have team you like have like you know a tracksuit or a team tracksuit for it or I don't know like that's the the identity yeah like you said like the pro series needs to become an identity too so people can you know get it motivated to do that. And it's funny you say the more team aspects and dressing like others. The team asked me if they could get team Crocs, purple Crocs, to start rocking out for it. I'm like, honestly, I'm like, if it's more cohesion than team. I'm like, I'm down for it. Why not? So <laughs> team light up John Hack signature shoes. Team. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go through all my budget on that. Yeah. Team head, headbands. <laughs> it's worth it. I'm te- I mean, I, I bet you if like someone just wanted to wear, have a team headband, they would be all for it. Like just all, everyone has to wear the headband for the meet or something because power lifters love headbands for whatever reason. Like, I mean, I mean, I'm not gonna say yeah. for whatever reason, it's because of a pro power lifter, Russ Orhe. Russ Orhe started wearing a headband, everyone on the hair, wear headbands after that. Like, it happens. You gotta start leaning into the actual big, part of the sport, which is your top lifters on the pro level. And then things will, you know, you, you work your way up there and it'll all just go kind of fall downhill from there. Like everyone will get a piece of that action. Um, yeah, I, 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 and I really do enjoy that idea. Um, also, I mean, back to like what you said, just about the culture, I think it will just be a great thing for college kids to look, even if they don't become an elite level lifter, 
them like being like 45 years old and still hanging out with their college friends being like, remember the time when we were 20, when we were in Baton Rouge or Lombard, Illinois, and we're just messing around being college kids, lifting weights and, you know, competing at collegiate nationals. And we went out to the city or something, or we went out to this meet or we went out here for a week. That's just good memories right there. That's, that's something you could look back on. And, uh, it, it like, if you create that culture and, you know, in powerlifting, it's just something that people want to be a part of. Yeah, wholeheartedly, it needs to be an experience for these kids. As much as it is a sport at the end of the day, and we want to win, I, I think we really still need to look at the age demographic that we're training. And it's like, we want them to have a good experience at the end of the day. And that's, that's really one of my ultimate goals is I see a lot of athletes who are just ran in the dirt for what they are for just being athletes. And in the day, like you said, like getting to look back on these memories, I think is so important and valuable. And I think that's where you get your alumni that put back to the team too. I would love to get to the point someday that we have alumni dinners for our team and bring back some of the old athletes and then talk about what a good experience the program was and not just an athlete lifting once or twice a year. And I think that's the direction that we need to take the sport. Yeah, some outreach there to other athletes as well would work. I think I had I, – I, I don't know what came of it. Um, uh, someone from Northwestern who's going Northwestern uh, wanted to create a powerlifting team at Northwestern. He's like, what, can – he was asking me, he's like, can, would you, like, be able to train with us on, on a day or, like, talk to us? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, like, people would love that if you did that. I'm like, yeah, and that that's good. That's good that you're thinking that because it's something identifiable in the sport. It's someone with some notoriety, you know, I have the podcast, I have a bigger Instagram page. People see it, and then they go and talk to them and just go train with them. It means a lot to them. Um, and then if and then if you start creating those lifters, just like, uh, you know, Austin Perkins used to train here. Or Sean, Sean Mills used to train here. And then they come back and they, you know, lift with them again. That's something that's big. I mean, I always go back to other sports. Football teams do that in all the time. They send their past athletes or their past uh, their past players to high schools to recruit that way. They go and they they, they put like oh uh, you know if it's LSU, they get Joe Burrow will go to this school and try to get the you know next next recruit for LSU, uh, next recruit quarterback. Like that's they use they use that to their advantage very well. Like. I think that'll be great for other universities to kind of lean into who's there in the past to help their um, help their culture and help their team. And if we need to remember the structure of other sports are successful too. So, and something too, I mean, for whether you're a head coach or you're just students running it, just shoot your shot. Um, reach out to people and see if they want to be a part of it or if they want to do it. Like, I mean, use Cincinnati again as the example. I actually offered this. Um, for a very specific reason, and I will explain this reason, is they said during those meetings, um, they, they do some programming stuff, and they said one time ever they got someone outside to do a little short video blip for them, and it was Joe Sullivan. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, well, one, you gave me 20 minutes of info. Two, um, I want to do anything I can to one-up Joe Sullivan, so how long was his video? And I'll do twice as long, and I'm going to send it to you, and I'll do it for free. I have no issue, just as long hey. as I can be able to one-up Joe Sullivan's hey. uh, yeah. uh, little uh Team blip for you. You know what, man? As far as uh, the dumb shit Joe Sullivan does, I like that. Good on you, Joe, Joe Sullivan. That's actually a good thing. I really enjoy that you would do that. Um, I, I think every, I think most people would agree too. 
That's the thing. Like, I, I'm apparently under, like, the identity of, like, three different universities. Because, they, like, they, you know, they, in Illinois, too, like, University of Illinois, they have their power powerfully club. Um, UIC has their power club. Dude, they lost, University of Illinois lost their shit because Lane Norton commented on one of their posts. <laughs> it was, because he, he, he went to University of Illinois. And um, he, so he, he commented on it. I think it was, I think it was actually the one they posted of me too, which was like kind of a double thing right there. Like, holy shit, Lane Norton just commented of this thing, of this picture we posted with Angelo. And like, that was, that was so big. They, 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 they thought it was so cool. And it, it is cool. It, it is a cool thing. Like, Lane Norton's huge in the sport. He's huge for fitness. Okay. It goes back to clout. It's just kids, kids like that and they like to get attention. They, um, I mean, I'll, I'll use it. I mean, I'm pretty sure I can. Be confident in saying this. The younger you are, the more those like model figures mean to meet. Like I think I think I'd probably speak for the three of us. Like if we went to the the Arnold and we saw like some top level power if there's bodybuilders, we probably wouldn't want to get a picture or really care too much. Like it's cool, <laughs> but like whatever. I don't I don't need to get a picture with that person. When, when, I was not the same when I was 18 to 22. When I was 18 to 22, if I would have saw any of my fitness idols anywhere, I would have just been losing my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, had to get a picture, had to talk to them, all that kind of stuff. So again, like Brad, you said it, just know your audience. I mean, it's, it's, it's a business. Um, know your audience and who you're, who you're trying to work with and, and what are their motivating factors. And college kids have a different motivating factor than 28 year old lifters. Um, um, and honestly, it's a pretty very, it's a pretty obvious one. I mean, we've all been 18 to 22. We all know exactly what we want. Um, it's very obvious kind of what is appealing to us. And I don't think it's that hard. It's just that I think the general culture of collegiate powerlifting sometimes has not been to that because I think it's, it's, it's ran by old school people who have their old school mindset and do what they think they would like, but that's not what an 18 year old lifter likes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, bridging that gap so hard, especially for, I think that was the hardest thing for me to learn as a coach was getting myself to connect with their mindset. I was very, when coming on my first year as the assistant, I was very much like, structure has to be this way. I need to have control. But just evolving with the kids and then being flexible with what they need or what is, it sounds bad, what's more popular. I and We know what works getting strong, but just incorporating things that, may make them happy. Hell, different carries. The split squat video. When you put out the split squat video, Steve, you blew up my phone tremendously. My clients were like, oh, Steve put out this video of split squats, how you're supposed to leverage, and can I try these in this cycle? I'm like, cool. I had to give like six or seven different athletes just because that split squat video you did. So now they hate <laughs> it and they don't ever want it again. But regardless, it's, they see it, they want to implement it, and there's no problem adjusting training to make your athlete happy as long as it's reaching that end goal. Um, anything else you got, Steve? No, I think that was about it. I, we were talking about maybe covering a little bit of a, a preview show, but I think we're going to do a separate preview show. Are we right? Yes, we're going to do a separate preview show. And, um, I actually think we get a lot of conversation out of that preview show as well, because what happened with our recap last Collegiate Nationals, it was a good one. And we had a lot to talk about. I think that was one of my longer episodes. It was, uh, Kyle, uh, Miller joined us for that one. I think it was a two hour episode. So I think a recap could definitely go over an hour of talking about certain lifts. Our uh, preview episode will um, go over about an hour talking about the lifters who are going to compete. And I'm excited for it. Um, yeah. Off the top of your head, Steve, do you know how many pro cards they're giving out? There's no pro cards at the meet. Okay. 
We can describe this on the next episode unless you want to do it now. I actually probably need to look at it. It's kind of it's semi confusing. Okay. Basically, from teen, high school, collegiate, and junior nationals, there's certain there's 14 total lifters being taken based off of dot scores, I believe. Um, those lifters, male and female, equipped and raw, will be invited to do a prime time session Tuesday night at Mega Nationals. And the overall winner of those four primetime sessions of the male, female, raw, and equipped win pro cards. Okay. That's, that's kind of cool. I mean, the kids competing at mega nationals, I think, could be wild. Another thing for exposure for collegiates and those kids just mm-hmm. being out there and getting possible clout, I think it's awesome. Yeah. Well, that was the reason they did that because the original thought was just give the best lifter at collegiate nationals and junior – just to give them a pro card. But – a big thing that a lot of collegiate and juniors wanted is like, why can't I compete at mega nationals anymore? Because that was the thing used to usually the juniors competed at the same meet as the open lifters. Um, and that's where you get the most attention, the most attention's on raw nationals. So that was a, that was a way that the junior lifters could get there, not just be there, but they've got a prime time session. They're going to get the full shebang. They're going to get uh, people commentating an awesome live stream. So and then pro card up for grabs, and I think that would actually be a really really fun meet, just mm-hmm. as long as Sean Mills doesn't win. Yeah, okay. <laughs> if we can hold that. But uh, yeah, all right. I just want to see if he's listening. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's that's uh, <laughs> hashtag uh, Wiz, Weez doesn't win. Weez won't win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ha- hashtag Weez won't win. That's a terrible. That's such a mean hashtag. But we've only been mean to him, so that's good. Um, yeah, uh, he would do it back. He would troll us back. Yeah, he'd he do would. the same. You're right. You're right. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good eye for an eye there. But uh, I was just wondering because I saw it on the preview show, and I was wondering how they were going to do pro cards, and we discussed it with them before, and that would be a good thing to have. You know, collegiate nationals lead into something professional, um, especially with some of the lifters we're going to see there. Uh, Brad, unless you have any closing thoughts? No, I don't. I am super appreciative of you guys let me come on here and talk about the school and our program and ideally the direction of sport. I, I really think it's it's a huge opportunity to voice out, like, what change we made, and then the opportunity is given for the kids that are doing it. And I'm just – USAPL is an outlet to you. And I've been a USPA guy for years, but seeing the direction they're going to the pro series and they're going with collegiates, and I hope they continue this route. I'm, I'm – enthusiastic about the future of this. So the thank you. So guys. if if we got listeners who are interested in possibly lifting for McKendry, how and maybe they're incoming freshmen, maybe they're wanting to transfer, how does that work? So if you're transfer students, all we have to do is get hold of admissions. We have a very, very simple link online that we can get to to get your application filled out. If you're an incoming freshman, same thing. We have apply online. We only need the application, your FAFSA, and your transcript sent. That much, you send me a message. We can have conversations. I can look at you on a powerlifting. We can talk about potential future with the program. If you really want to be seen as a high school lifter, you have got to do a better job about exposing yourself. We've talked about throughout the show about not posting videos and that being a secret to training. But if you want to be seen and you want to be recruited, you have to be able to have that site for a coach to go view. So please like do that for yourself if you are. But if you want to get recruited through us, three easy things, application, transcript, and FAFSA. Yeah. And they can reach you at McKendry Powerlifting on Instagram. Yeah. Just shoot yep. you a DM. Yeah. Yep, 100% DMs. Probably Instagram and social media is the easiest way to connect. Most time kids will send emails and stuff, and I do respond to them, but the most traffic for conversation comes from me from Instagram usually. 
Yep. So, um, really excited to see that. Really excited to see the team grow. Really excited to see collegiate powerlifting grow. Also, the episode title is The State of Collegiate Powerlifting. Right now, I'd say the state is good. Would you gentlemen agree? <laughs> I agree. I just think there's there's so much potential. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it a B, and I think there's so much potential to be an A-plus to where, like, Collegiate powerlifting could surpass Texas high school powerlifting as the biggest federation in the U.S. That's the goal. That is 100% the goal. And there was somebody in St. Louis talking about it. Like, the goal of making this sport is to make it bigger than high school, than Texas high school. And it's funny that you mentioned that. But, no, it's it's, it's it's exciting time. And the B ranking is, I think, 100% right. They can nail this if they really put their mind to it, USAPL, and they really make this a competitive collegiate bracket with ranking everything. I think it could be a phenomenal structure someday yeah all right that'll, that'll be the graphic too what we all grade the state of collegiate powerlifting being on par with college c says b i say b plus what do you say brad it's, it's gotta be a solid b it's it's it's, it's better than a b minus right now it's working i'm i'm yeah i'm gonna be on the plus a lot of colleges don't do the plus or minuses i'm gonna be the college Since when the- is angelo positive or who are you trying to impress and get on the good side <laughs> this is not the angelo i enjoy well, i want i want c minuses out of you no <laughs> and that's Oh, that would be, you know towards the identity there but um i don't know it just when i look at collegiate nationals i think they're i mean i look at college powerlifting it's it's doing a really good job or a good enough job. And I think it's just, it needs to be pushed a little bit more. And like you said, it's such an important thing because like, like you said, it, it, it could be, I mean, actually, I think every powerlifting federation wants to be Texas high school powerlifting. Association. <laughs> like if the IPF could become that, that'll be fantastic for them. Like all the lifters, all those members, all that money could be thrown in there. That'll be great for them. Um, but I think, I think this will be so big for high school students as well. If college becomes a college power team becomes big, then you get high schoolers who like they have something to fall back on if they don't play collegiate sports. Like a guy like me in high school who's a really good weightlifter, but a average football player. It would have been cool to have been like, you know, I could go to University of Illinois and powerlift. That'd be fun. I like that. That'll be a really fun thing to do. Like that's a sport. I love playing sports. Most of us do. That's why we're in a competitive sport. So I think right now with the current state of it, it's in a B plus, and um, I think we're on the uh, the the borderline there of if we make it an A, that means more people are going to be involved into it, and the success is going to be there. So I'm excited, and I'm very excited to commentate it as well. I'm going to be there for all the action. Yes, sir. Yep, and uh, we'll get that preview show for you guys this upcoming Monday. Peace.